Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and in this episode, we're talking about giving birth in different birth settings, including the option to give birth in a hospital under the care of a midwife. My guest is a certified nurse midwife whose mission is to give growing families a full range of birthing choices and options. She offers personalized prenatal, birthing, and postnatal care in a variety of settings, including home, birth centers, and hospital. Naomi Drucker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to see you here. I hear your name in the office almost every day in one setting or another. And once in a rare while, I get to even work with you. Yeah. So you have a really interesting background. And your journey to where you are is, I think, also pretty unique. So let's talk about the beginning. Where are you from? Well, I'm from Montreal. But how I got started here is I feel like a lot of people are led to midwifery by a sucky first birth experience. Oh. Um, <laughs> what was yours? Young. I was 21 when I had my first son, and I was, you know, in the system getting the routine care, just not knowing any different. Here in Canada? Here in L.A. And, you know, it was fairly okay. I was at a facility that had midwives and saw the same midwife at every visit. And toward the end, she even gave me her number and said I could call her when I was in labor. And so that was my whole birth plan. Oh, wow. And then when I was in labor and I called her, she didn't answer the phone. Oops. So <laughs> that was jarring and not great. And then just showing up to the hospital and not at all knowing what to expect, not knowing any of the people who were caring for me was really disappointing. So physiologically, the birth couldn't have been better. It was fairly quick and easy. But Every little thing just made it sort of unpleasant, like the uh, the three IV pokes and the uh, no eating rule and the no getting up out of bed rule. And uh, did you have anybody else supporting you through that? No, birth? I didn't know about doulas then either. Oh, really? <laughs> so you know, I got through all that, and then of course the uh, obligatory ER visit in the postpartum period because there's nobody to call or talk to about what's going on. So lots of women will get mastitis or some other kind of infection or. And your midwife still wasn't answering the phone? <laughs> <laughs> well, at that point, I stopped trying to call oh. her. So uh, shortly after all that, I started opening my eyes and found out about doulas and signed up for a training like within the first year after my baby was born. I did a doula training 
and was working as a doula for several years and loved it. After my experience, I sort of knew in my mind, one day I'll be the midwife and I'll answer the phone. And if I can't answer the phone, I will discuss a backup plan with each and every one of my clients because, Mm. you know, it's unreasonable to expect that you could always, always be there as much as we all try. So it was a step-by-step process. You know, I had a new baby now, so doula training, doula work, worked really well for my family for a while. <laughs> well, I mean, having a new baby and doula work don't sound like they go together that well. Well, I have a very supportive partner, and he was about one when I started doing the doula work. Mm-hmm. And it worked for me. I didn't have other work, and it was very flexible. I didn't take too many clients, so it worked for a time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when he got a little older... And I was having another child. I started to think about, you know, my oldest one was getting to school age, almost, you know, like preschool. And as a family, we needed a better income. And as a doula, I found that the nurses really had a lot of pull as far as how your experience goes in the hospital setting. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that would be your logical next step. And, you know, nursing school was another two years. So I did that, became a nurse and went straight into labor and delivery. And I did that for a long time because I was right. You could make so much difference in so many people's lives. Every time I went to work, I'd affect two, three, four families sometimes. And it was awesome. I was like an undercover midwife there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, you have a little more control over your schedule that way. Oh, the schedule was amazing. The pay was great. And you get paid better. The benefits were amazing. So the whole thing was so great that... um, And you're the one doing the IV poke. Right, exactly. (laughs) So I'd do the IV pokes. I'd communicate with the doctors and, you know, always do my best to honor the birth plans and give people choices and remind everyone that, like, you've still got choice when you're in that setting and these are all things that are suggested or, you know, standard of care, but you never lose the power to ask for some time or to say no even. Mm -hmm. Where in that journey did you have your next birth? Around five years into being a nurse or four years, along the way I had a couple miscarriages and... um, I had terrible care with those, with the insurance that I had at that time. So then, because now I was in the setting and I knew all of the doctors and nurses, I was able to kind of find a doctor that I felt really comfortable with, who I knew would be there for me for my next pregnancy. And it was twins the next time. Oh, wow. So that was different. Oh, I didn't even talk about my middle birth. He was born at the Hollywood Birth Center with the midwives there. Oh, outside the hospital. And that was awesome. And that was like just as I was starting nursing school, like right before. Oh, so you'd been a doula for a while. Yeah, I'd been a doula for a while. I was on to the next mission of nursing school, and I had him during school, basically. Did you have a doula for that birth? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I had had such a real easy physiologic birth the first time that I figured I'd be okay with the midwife and the midwife assistant, who happened to be Alex. Oh, really? Yeah, that was my first time meeting her. That's so cool. Yeah. So that was an amazing birth. And then I kind of, you know, got on with my life, two kids and school and work. And and then the last birth, then there were miscarriages, then there were the twins. And that was in the hospital with a doctor who was 100% there for me. I'm just curious of the twins. Was that a decision to have them at the hospital or was there not a, another choice? Um, at that time, because I was working there and because I trusted my provider so much and they were mono die twins. So there was a lot of surveillance and a lot of mm-hmm. concern about that. They yeah. shared a placenta. <laughs> and so there's just a couple extra safety concerns. 
oh, and then I had a short cervix. So it was kind of a no-brainer toward the end mm-hmm. because I had a short cervix from 28 weeks, and I was on bed rest oh, wow. for the duration of the pregnancy. That does not sound like the most comfortable thing. It was actually kind of awesome Being on bed because rest I was allowed to do bed rest at home, and I already had two kids, so I kind of right. knew that this was going to be the last rest I'd ever get. <laughs> <laughs> and it was true. I read so many books and watched movies. It was kind of awesome in the way that I did it. And physiologically, was that birth how you had wanted it? I guess because my cervix was short, it was just surprisingly quick and surprisingly early because my previous birth had been at 42 weeks, so I was sort of in it for the long haul. I figured I'd hang on till the end, and I ended up breaking my water at 35 weeks out at my sister's place in Tarzana, um, and then having to drive all the way back into the city, (laughs) not really thinking anything much was happening, but my water was broken in the middle of the night, but then out of nowhere, pushing in the car. Oh, wow. Just out of nowhere. I mean, short cervix. Your body did not want hospital birth. (laughs) (laughs) Right, short cervix, tiny babies. I barely made it. And then how long between them? Seven minutes. Oh, wow. But I was able to call everybody from the car and coordinate, you know, my husband meeting us at the hospital, my mother coming to take care of the kids, my doctor. just you in the car? My sister was driving. Oh, okay. I had to wake her up. She was nursing, and it was like, do we leave the baby? Do we take the baby? <laughs> so, what do we do? It's two in the morning. Wow. <laughs> that was awesome. My doctor even made it. As a um, labor and delivery nurse who's more patient-oriented, Is that different than what typically takes place at a hospital? Is there resistance from a hospital to that? Do you sometimes end up in a funny place where your client wants something and you want to support them, but the hospital policy is not really that way? Oh, for sure. I mean, if any old client had called the hospital and said, I'm coming in hot, send someone down with a gurney, you know, they usually send a couple people down with some gloves just in case, but I had the whole team ready. And it is... For you, for your Yeah, for, for me. Birth. So it's, you know, obviously I got deluxe treatment because they were all my friends. Well, it was like <laughs> having a birthday party with all your best friends. It was crazy. Um, uh, but that's the kind of... When I have a client as a midwife now, though, I get to call ahead and arrange everything for them before we even get there, which is so cool. That's really nice. My clients don't go to triage... I mean, we're not there yet, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you are now practicing as a midwife at the same hospital where you did labor and delivery. I am. Yeah. So what I'm also asking is that when you're a very patient-oriented labor and delivery nurse, Mm -hmm. do you sometimes find yourself in an awkward position where the hospital has policies, but the patient wants to do something that's not exactly within the hospital policy, do you feel pulled in both directions? A little bit, but there's this nifty thing called documentation, and I was never afraid to use it. So if a patient has a birth plan that states she wants things that are outside the box, or if we have a conversation and she would prefer not to partake of whatever the intervention is, then I just very happily would document that and move along. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get too much resistance on that. It worked smoother than you would think. That's wonderful. Yeah. Let's take a little break and then come back and talk about giving birth in different settings because you attend birth in all of them. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, 
often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Naomi Drucker. One of the questions people ask frequently is, what's the difference between a doula, a midwife, and a nurse? And you're all three. Right. <laughs> so nothing. <laughs> How would you describe the differences between doula, labor and delivery nurse, and midwife? So a doula is someone who's trained to be a physical and emotional support and have some idea of what normal labor is and how to support a woman in that and also to be a strong advocate for her clients to sort of help guide them along the decision-making process when things come up. You know, you've got inexperienced doulas, but then the more experienced doulas have been to a lot of births and they've seen a lot of different things and they have a good sense of, well, you know, like maybe we could wait on breaking the water or give it a little time before we start Pitocin. And sometimes they don't say much. Some clients don't really need much from their doulas other than just that presence of someone who knows what's going on in the room and that type of support. Sure. I think for some people, just going into a hospital makes their blood vessels constrict and their jaw tighten up a little bit and they just don't feel Absolutely. that comfortable. So if you bring things with you that make you feel naturally more relaxed and comforted and not in danger, then they can be very helpful. One of those things could be a person yeah. or different people. Yeah, even just and, a person. Uh, so that do love you spend time during prenatally just getting to know each other and they, you feel like there's someone who just makes you feel relaxed by their presence or by just putting a hand on your shoulder or squeezing your hips or their Absolutely. voice could go a long way. Yeah. And people talk about how doulas would be so effective in so many different settings, like, you know, any setting that's uncomfortable, really. Sure. Oh, I, yeah. I want a business doula. Right. I'll often accompany clients to doctor's visits because, you know, when you're in midwifery care, sometimes even just going to the doctor for a routine, whatever, ultrasound can be, you know, stressful. With sure. your midwife, typically you don't wait to see them and you have a nice long visit. And with the doctor, it's sort of the opposite where you wait and wait and wait, have a short visit, and then you leave kind of wondering what, what just happened. What happened? <laughs> yeah. so, um, this is the way the system's set up. Yeah. So sometimes when I feel like it might go that way, I'll, I'll accompany my clients to the doctor and it works out really nicely. That's so nice. And then you went from doula to labor and delivery nurse. Right. Yeah. So the doula's... I hope I covered that sort of okay. I know I left out a lot, but they... Roughly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most people listening to your podcast probably know well what it's doing. A lot of them do. We have a whole episode on yeah. labor doulas yeah. that you can also search the library <laughs> and listen to. But so, basically, they're non-medical people. Right. They're they other don't do types clinical tasks. Yeah. They're there to be attentive to you, emotionally, physically supporting you with light massage or, you know, aromatherapy, talking to you and things like that. Whereas nurses are, you know, they're 
employees of the hospital. Their primary job is to carry out the orders of the physician. And part of those, I mean, the general gist of that job is to take care of the laboring woman, to be by her side for the hours that she's in the hospital to ensure that she and the baby are safe and have what they need to be comfortable and to do clinical tasks like taking your vital signs and evaluating your baby's heartbeat, starting IVs, administering medication, documenting. A lot of charting. A lot of documenting. A lot of time at the computer. Yes, exactly. Checking your labs, reporting them if they're abnormal, talking to you about them if that's the case, looking at your whole health history and ensuring, you know, we don't give you anything that you're allergic to or, you know, don't do anything that could harm you, you know, look at the whole history, try to be sensitive to, like, let's say you had cancer or maybe you had a miscarriage last time or you know, whatever it is, try to get the whole big picture in a short amount of time so that they could take safe care of you and also be like almost like when I was a labor and delivery nurse, I was sort of towing that line of trying to be your doula friend nurse (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, sort of your mama bear protector, making sure that you were not getting steamrolled by the system. What's the role of the nurse in a cesarean birth? Well, there's a couple nurses in a cesarean birth. One will be a circulator, and sometimes that, like, let's say it wasn't an expected cesarean birth and you were laboring for a while. In an ideal circumstance, it would be that same nurse that labored with you who takes you to the operating room, gets you all set up and organized, and then the circulator is responsible for documenting things in the operating room and checking in on you and making sure your partner is comfortable and safe and bringing him over to the warmer when it's time, helping take pictures, those types of things. Of course, documenting But in the operating room, the nurse isn't doing any real clinical tasks with you because the anesthesiologist is responsible for medication administration and vital signs. The doctor is obviously doing the procedure. So they call her a circulator because she's kind of all over the place. Moving around. Yeah, counting instruments, Uh that type of stuff. And then there's another nurse. And that Right, there's another nurse who comes in to help with the baby. And sometimes if there's extra nurses, there will be another nurse that just comes in to help in general, to help with whatever needs helping. And then someone who will get the baby's vital signs, get the baby registered in the computer, tagged. Is that a separate pediatric nurse or is that also the labor and delivery? She's a labor and delivery nurse whose job it is that night to to take care of babies. So, you know, at some hospitals they call her the rover nurse or the baby nurse. Ooh, I like these behind the scenes names. (laughs) We got the circulator and the rover. Yeah. It's like spies. Exactly. And then hopefully that same circulator nurse will follow you to the recovery room. And in the recovery room, you know, as long as it's not full of other women, because sometimes there could be up to three women recovering. But I used to work night shifts, so it was typically just me and the client and the baby and the partner. And, you know, if there was a doula out in the hallway, we'd bring her back. Is that Um, PACU? Yeah, the post-anesthesia recovery unit. And you usually stay there after a C-section for an hour or two before you're moved over to postpartum. Postpartum. And then the midwife. Right. So now the, we've gone to level three of your right? journey. Yeah. So at some point in all that jumble, I went to midwifery school because I was always going to do that. Uh, my 40th birthday was looming and it was time. Um, What's school like? School? Yeah, I did a distance program at Frontier Nursing University. Mm -hmm. So you go to campus like once a year. It was a three-year program. Um, You go to campus basically for team building and skills. And in between, you do your didactic courses online. So you write your papers, you do your projects, you even do group projects, and all that stuff is online. But then the practical part of the training is done on site where you are. So it was up to me to find preceptors who would teach me 
the art of midwifery, which can be difficult sometimes because there aren't that many places in L.A. where midwives are practicing full scope. Yeah, and there's a lot of students coming through the pike. There are a lot of students coming down the pike. So I was very fortunate because of my long experience as a nurse and a doula that I had plenty of people that I could call and help me arrange those things. So I had three different sites. One was a birth center. One was a medical practice, like a doctor's office for the menopause and gynecological stuff. And uh, I also had the opportunity to train at a hospital with midwives. Oh, well, that's well-rounded. Yeah, it was exactly what I wanted. And the clinical skills that you're talking about are like the actual delivering of the baby, mm-hmm. um, the prenatal care, which I didn't really learn as a nurse because as a labor delivery nurse, you're just at the birth. You don't have anything to do with the prenatal care, the genetic screening or the teaching that goes along with that or any of the things that happen along the way for pregnancy, nor do you get exposed to the postpartum aspects either. So that you're was... Very specific start and end point right, so, as a nurse. Yeah. So midwifery, the skills included, you know, the prenatal office visits, the birth, suturing lacerations, managing labors, which I, I feel like it was sort of similar to how I was trained as a nurse because you're the one who's there, not the doctor, and you, you do manage the labor. Mm-hmm. So that I felt like I had a little edge on, but I learned all those other things. Postpartum care, all the postpartum concerns that women come up with. like starting IVs, drawing bloods. Uh, that all I did in nursing school, That's actually. what I'm saying. So you must have had tons of an edge yeah. on, on that, more than an edge. Yeah, I feel very, com- like, yeah, the IVs, managing a hemorrhage, managing a neonatal resuscitation, reading a strip, you know, evaluating baby's heartbeats, cervical exams, all of that I was very comfortable with, which was, you're right, it did give me a level of comfort that I imagine would be very different if I had just gone straight through to midwifery. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty clear picture that you gave of the doula support versus the nurse support. Uh, One of the things that you pointed out that I didn't really realize is that the time frame that the nurse is involved is a very specific time frame, whereas now as a midwife, you're really like conception through postnatal. Yeah. And maybe beyond. And beyond, yeah. All right. Time flies. (laughs) And I'm learning a lot from you, so I appreciate that. Um, When we come back, what I'd like to talk about is the different birth settings, because now we've talked about the different types of providers at a birth. And in particular, Los Angeles hasn't really had the option, this area hasn't had the option to have a private midwife work with you and still deliver at a hospital until recently. And so I want to talk about more of the pros and cons of that choice. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. 
Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Naomi Drucker. All right, let's talk about this. There's so many choices to make when it comes to giving birth. There's the setting, there's the provider, and then there's even further how natural or not interventive you want. We've talked a lot about provider types, although we didn't talk about doctors too much. Let's talk about setting. You deliver babies at home at a birthing center and at a hospital. Yes. What are some of the pros and cons of different settings? And when someone's trying to figure out which is best for them, what are some things to think about? Um, Okay. I'll start with home. Home is lovely for people because they don't have to go anywhere and they have everything that they need right there. Um, As far as birth equipment, I bring all of my equipment The family buys a small box of disposable things that they might need, and the food is there. The child care is there if they need it, typically with, like, a family friend or something. And You mean if they have older kids? Yeah. So home is very comfortable, and as I know you've talked about on your podcast before, you know, midwives bring all the essentials to birth, all the things that they need to manage a normal labor and delivery and also to manage some types of emergencies. So, um... Duffel bags. Duffel bags, yeah. Lots of wheelie, wheelie suitcases. Wheelie bags, yeah. Exactly. Oxygen tanks and medicine and IVs and ambu bags and, I mean, and all the mad skills that it takes to use those things. Absolutely. And confidence, you know. And it's all those things that make home birth safe because you have what you need both training-wise and equipment-wise yeah. to deal with things as they come up. And also all that heavy equipment is what makes midwives some of my greatest clients. <laughs> I bet. So there's that. I'm due. I'm due. (laughs) Um, Another thing at a home birth is that typically the midwife will bring an assistant, and some midwives work with midwife students, and other midwives will hire a skilled assistant. I typically will hire a skilled assistant to come with me, and usually they'll just sort of join in at the end. Yeah, and then that's especially handy because once the baby's born, then there's two people to potentially care for. So it's nice to have two caregivers. Absolutely. That's why we need the assistant. Yeah. Yeah. For the baby, the mom, and then somebody to help me carry my bags out. Is there a (laughs) – that's nice. Is there a downside? Is there a reason why somebody would say that's not the right environment for me? Um, I've had some clients who, you know, live in sort of close quarters – uh, one of my clients was like a property manager in her building and you oh. know, just wasn't interested in giving birth well. where people might be knocking on her door asking for... <laughs> my uh, toilet's broken. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people who live in apartment buildings or condos who are a little self-conscious about potentially making noise. And sometimes people might live in a place that is difficult to access in the case of an emergency and might think better of giving birth there, you mm-hmm. know, even if you're low risk, you want to have a transport plan in place. Safety blanket nearby. Yeah. So, um, so those th- people, if they still want to not be at a hospital, have the option to go to a birth center. Yep. Yeah. In those cases, a birth center is a great option. At a birth center, it's the same kind of deal where the midwife is with you and an assistant shows up toward the end, unless it's students who are learning. At a birthing center, there's all the same equipment that a midwife would bring to the house. So. But they just have it there. Yeah, it's all set up there, so you don't need to schlep any bags. And some birth centers have nitrous oxide, which is nice. I don't see a ton of people using it, but people like to know that it's there. In case you need a root canal during labor? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm curious about nitrous. When you see people use it, does it seem to help? First of all, not a lot of people go for it. Yeah. And of the people that do, I don't see so, that it so. makes a huge difference. Yeah. Some people, it does. 
Right. So I see sometimes people who are very anxious, it looks like it helps them relax. Not like they don't feel the intensity. It just helps them relax about the intensity. Yeah. I've seen it work kind of nicely at the end if there's a repair. Like after the baby's born, if there needs to be a repair done, it's like the last thing you want to deal with after you've had a baby. You feel like, I did it. We're done. Right. And then it's like, no. Now there's this uncomfortable thing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, that's interesting. So that uh, another benefit potentially of a birth center. Yeah. Because I don't know of anybody that brings nitrous to home births. And they have tubs sometimes. Exactly. Uh, They do have tubs. Um, But you could have a tub at a home birth too. A lot of people in LA have fabulous tubs. Just already built in. Yeah. Or you can get the inflated tub. Right. You could rent a birth tub. tub. But I've seen some really amazing tubs. Right. We did ours at our tub. Oh, nice. Just built in. Very cool. Convenient. Very convenient. It's a lot easier to fill and drain than that hosey pump situation. (laughs) So the birth center, yeah, it's fully equipped with what you need. Uh, you don't need to worry about doing laundry or uh, what else? The laundry. Or in one. our case, getting on my hands and knees and using hydrogen peroxide and a toothbrush to get the bloody look out of the grout before the kids wake up. <laughs> exactly. You don't have Should to worry about that. Should have put a towel that. there. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't. Yeah, grout is surprisingly absorbent. Mm-hmm. I found out. And then hospital, where. So, I think classically in the U.S., your birth is attended by doctors, but sometimes you have the option to have a midwife. Oh, and bringing up hospital, that's another advantage to home birth and birth center birth is that you never really have to go to triage, which can sometimes be terrible. It's just it can sometimes take a long time. And if you don't have someone with you who knows birth, you might end up in triage a couple times before it's the real thing. You mean going and they send you home, going exactly. back, they send you home. Exactly. But at home, you're already home. Right, exactly. <laughs> so the midwife might have to come out to you one or two extra times, but you don't no have to No skin off your back. Well, <laughs> exactly. her back. Right. So at the hospital, and I mean, do you want me to speak to it from the perspective of like how it goes for my clients and my practice or uh, in general? Well, first in general and then specific to you. Okay. Well, in general, when a woman is in labor, typically they'll call their doctor's office and be instructed to go to labor and delivery. You know, they'll have a short conversation about what the contractions are like or and whatnot. And But typically the doctors will want to know that the baby's doing okay and have the person seen by a professional. So you go to triage and people arrive at triage either smiling and walking and other people arrive to triage crying and crawling, but everybody gets put in triage and evaluated Mm -hmm. by, you know, either the resident team or the midwife on staff. And that person will typically communicate with the doctor and come up with a plan. And if you're not really in labor yet or things seem early and you seem safe, they might send you home. Or if there's any little concern at all, they might keep you. Uh, you could be two centimeters or you could be eight centimeters. And some, you know, you could be admitted very early or you could be admitted in active labor. And then mm-hmm. you move from triage to labor and delivery where you get a nurse assigned to you and you get your IV and your blood work done. And if you're banking cord blood, they would draw blood for that too at that time. Hopefully at some point during that process, someone will review your birth plan if you bring one. And then, well, the benefits there are that I guess you have even more equipment. You have all the equipment. You have, you know, let's say you might be having a life threatening emergency. They can take care of that there mm-hmm. um, pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. And um, you don't have to hire an assistant for hospital birth, <laughs> they're already there. Right. Lots of assistance. Yeah. <laughs> we already talked about the circulator and the yeah, rover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess from the midwife perspective, but. 
you do have the disadvantage of being exposed to lots of people you haven't met before and being yeah. in an environment that's kind of foreign and limited. I feel like to some degree, checking your autonomy at the door, maybe some environments more than others. But I think sometimes when you walk in there, it's almost the questions. You can even tell by the questions. The questions that she'll ask sometimes are, can I do this? Can I do that? Can yes. I do that? Yes. Versus at your home, the staff is sort of talking to you, like, do you mind if we use your thing exactly. for this? Exactly. You know, it's just a different hierarchy. Even the outfits, you know, the outfit that the caregivers have are like nice lab coaty kind of outfits versus the oversized unisex hospital mumu. Exactly. That uh, doesn't feel so empowering. Right. That, that the patients get. So it's just a different vibe in there. It is, for sure. but not always. Let's talk about your practice, which is kind of unique. You're at a popular hospital here in Los Angeles, and you're a midwife where typically doctors deliver there. So how does that work out? It just kind of looked like an interesting option. Well, I only knew that it was a possibility because there was one before me. She's mm-hmm. since passed away. Her name was Debbie Frank. And while I was a nurse there at the hospital, I was able to observe her practice. And she had what seemed to me like the most ideal practice. She did home births and she did births at the hospital. She sat with her patients. She was always there. She'd meet them. She'd get there before they did. And she would do the triage things herself, you know, evaluate their labor, check them in. More often, she'd come with them from home, which was awesome. So, you know, I endeavored to sort of like follow in her footsteps. And when I graduated midwifery school, I applied for privileges at the hospital right away. And I figured it wouldn't work out because nobody else is doing it. So there must be some kind of huge barrier. But it worked out. And here I am. Was there any barrier? I mean, there's some parts of it that are prohibitive, like, uh, you know, some things about applying for privileges and keeping them that are more expensive than if you're a home birth midwife. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as a nurse midwife, the law is that I must have a supervising physician, which is fairly easy. I, I mean, I have plenty of physician friends who are supportive of my practice and willing to have that role for out-of-hospital clients, but for in-hospital, they need to be, you know, a little bit more intimately involved. So that, you know, is a little bit difficult finding supportive doctors. Oh, I I would have thought the other way, that it's easier to find doctors to support in-hospital versus Um, out. Yeah. But I think it's also because you have relationships with them. Yes. It's easier. They trust you and they know you well enough so they can support your out-of-hospital birth experiences. Yeah. Is it just more red tape and covering? There's quite a bit of red tape and, you know, liability concerns and stuff like that. Within the hospital. Yeah. Because, you know, as a nurse midwife needing a supervising physician at home birth, like, Nobody's really looking at that, but in the hospital, the patients are actually admitted under the doctor's name. Oh, so it's a lot more responsibility. Yeah, it's it's a lot more responsibility. So the trust factor is huge, and I'm so fortunate that I have a lot of doctors that trust me and that I trust with my clients. Mm -hmm. So right, when I have a client in labor, I will always go to their house. You know, I've never actually gotten a call from someone saying they're heading to the hospital. They want to meet me there. It's always we've been laboring a while, it's getting a little bit more intense. And then, you know, we discuss when would be a good time for me to come check them out and do a labor evaluation at home. And then typically I will just meet them at the hospital and call ahead, get them a room, get them a nurse. And so we arrive together and go straight into a labor and delivery room. And if they prefer a tub or a window. Uh, Because you've done triage at home. Exactly. I've checked their cervix. I know if they're GBS positive. If they are, I might have administered some antibiotics at home already. Like, it's all very streamlined. 
at some point during that process, I'll call my supervising doctor and let him know, hey, so-and-so is in labor. FYI, we're on the way to the hospital. And, you know, typically that's all that need be said, you know, Mm -hmm. unless things go wacky, then we just proceed from there. We get to the hospital, we get set up, and I've definitely talked through all the triage stuff or the new admission stuff with my clients so that they know they're going to be asked, when was your last bowel movement? When was the last time you ate? Like, I pretty much give them the whole list of questions so that they can either write up. They can study. (laughs) They can just have somebody else answer them if they're in rip-roaring labor. Nobody wants to go through that stuff. And then once they're in the hospital, do you stay with them? Well, that's really the beautiful thing. Like, Typically, we don't go to the hospital until they're in active labor. Until they're ready. And if they're in active labor, yeah, I'm for sure staying. There have definitely been times where someone's needed to come in early for either an induction for medical reason or maybe pain management in early labor. And in those cases, if they're tucked in and sleeping, then I'll most likely go home and sleep too Mm -hmm. and then come back. That brings up something interesting (laughs) because how does that even work? Because if you're doing a home birth or a birthing center, Induction and other interventions are not typically available. Right. So that is like one of the most wonderful things about my practice is that if things go even just a little bit outside of normal, I don't have to hand them off to somebody else. I can do an induction. I can co-manage an induction. They can have an epidural if they want. There's no reason why they couldn't have it under my care. Oh, so that's really unique. So as a midwife, you can write the orders for those things and then also be there while they're being administered. Mm Mm-hmm. And then on the far end of that is if things go the complete opposite way and someone needs a C-section, I'm able to go into the operating room and hold their hand and really help support that process. Yeah, and you're familiar with it. I imagine at some point you were a circulator. Well, at some point I was the doula who was made wait in the waiting room. Right, before you got to be in there. But I'm saying in all your years being a labor and delivery nurse, you must have spent some time in cesarean births. For sure. So you have the experience of knowing what's happening, what all these different people are doing and what's going on. So for some people, they really are comforted by knowledge about what's happening. But it's oftentimes short. Nobody's really spending that time talking to the client about what's happening. They're doing it. Right, Especially if it's not a schedule. And, yeah, in the midwife role, it's kind of nice because when a C-section's been called for whatever reason, there's, like, I don't really have anything I need to be doing as far as clinical tasks or midwifey stuff. I can really just be there as a friend for support. And oftentimes people have a doula even when they birth with me at the hospital for early labor. And And sometimes a big, hairy male yeah. Massage guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Did you have any final thoughts? I learned a lot, and I love that this option is available here again. Yeah, it's amazing. And I guess uh, just some other points about my care is, for the most part, do my prenatal care in the home. Mm-hmm. So my... Oh, yeah, I was wondering about that. So it really is this blend of midwife with hospital delivery. And yeah. it's, you're as if you're a home birth midwife up until the point that you go to the hospital. If you go to the hospital, yeah. If you go to the hospital. Do people hire you for both? Like, let's set it up for home, but we'll see? Typically, they choose. Like, you know, part of the reason why I felt so strongly about getting hospital privileges is that most people feel safer in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's 98% you know, give birth right. in the hospital. Most people do. And those people, you know, I, I worked as a nurse long enough and heard enough 
Like, why didn't she just stay home if she doesn't want anything we have to offer here? Like, that's not what it should be at the hospital. If someone's low risk and wants to have a low intervention birth, they should be able to have it in any setting. And so I'm passionate about that. I forget how I got on that tangent. But yes, home prenatal visits and then the postpartum care is so different than with typical care. Yes, It's very similar, almost the same as the home birth midwife, is that I'll visit you within 48 hours of the birth. I'll visit you at a week. I'll visit you at three weeks and at six weeks. And we'll be in touch during all the time in between so that, you know, I very rarely ever have a client who ends up in the ER with mastitis because I've been there helping her breastfeed or getting her in touch with the lactation person. Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to have you on here because I didn't understand how some of the nuances work. But all the different options have pros and cons to them. They're just different choices for different people. And your option that you've made available is unique, but it has a lot of compliments. I think, like you said, people who feel more comfortable having the safety blanket of a hospital but want to be nurtured by midwife care, those long visits with short wait times and you know, how the doctor's typically not with you for most of labor, but Naomi is. (laughs) And all the other things that you mentioned, I think, create this beautiful option that is surely not going to be available in every town, but it's available in many towns, and now it's available here. So thank you. Where can people find you online? I am on Yelp and Google. You could just Google my name, Naomi Elizabeth Drucker, CNM. I have my website is fairly amateur, but it's NaomiDrucker.com. How would you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need a business doula, too. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> Thank you so much again for coming in, for sharing your expertise, and for the passion that you bring into what you do. Thanks so much for having me. At home, thanks for listening to our show. If you'd like other pregnancy and parenting media, visit our website, informedpregnancy.com. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.